Welcome to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast. Well, welcome, Sally Augustine. She's a practicing environmental and design psychologist, and she's principal at Design with Science. She's also a fellow of the American Psychological Association that has written books on applied psychology for interior architecture and also um, applying knowledge to inform design. Design with Science um, works with people who are designing either places or objects or services, and we make recommendations to them based on research that's been done in environmental psychology. Well, we're the people that think about how the stuff in the physical world around you influences how you think and behave. So we um, answer questions about like what surface colors um, should be placed on walls to help people think more creatively or you know how the color of light comes into play, why room dimensions matter, why what you feel under your under your feet as you're walking along influences what goes on in your head. And, and we also think about you know, other factors and layer them onto this sensory um, foundations of the physical environment, um, how personality comes into play, you know, all, all sorts of different factors. Okay, great. And what got you into it? I got into it because um, I, um, I have an MBA um, and I was working on um, retail design projects as the management person. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I became so intrigued by how store design influenced what people bought, how they traveled through the store, etc. that um, eventually I decided to go back to school and um, formally study environmental psych. There's a couple different reasons why environmental psych is important. First of all, um, people are always in a place. I mean, I guess we could have a metaphysical conversation about whether that's actually true, but if we can just accept that and go on. <laughs> you know, people are always in a, in a place, and um, you know, the research does so, show consistently that the design of that place influences what goes on in their head you know so it would be nice if people were in a space that supported whatever their plans were like if they're trying to uh, write poetry you know if the space helped them think more creatively if they're trying to work through some challenging accounting issue maybe it would be better for them to think analytical way um uh, also you know when you have people in healthcare environments you, we can help them heal more effectively by a design so you know d- design matters and we're always in a place that's um the first reason why this line of science is relevant now and the second one relates to sustainability when people are in a place that more effectively aligns with their various needs, psychological and otherwise, they're less likely to feel the need to, to change it. So that re- results in you know fewer materials um, going into landfills or you know being thrown out as trash, mm-hmm. and um, fewer um, new materials that need to be brought in. All of which is good for the environment. True, exactly. Um, and as you say, the design of spaces and places have a huge impact on us, you know, obviously both negatively and positively. Can you tell us a little bit about the science or the psychology, why our environment makes us feel the way we do? Our sensory systems developed when we were a young species living on the savanna. And um, the same sensory apparatus that we developed to survive then is what we're using right now. So we can't ignore different sorts of sensory experiences that we have because, well, when we were a young species, ignoring those sorts of signals ended up with us being somebody's lunch, <laughs> so, you know, which which was which was undesirable for the future of you know of humans. So um, you know, so we have these 
inherent responses to aspects of our physical environment and we layer those responses with you know things we learn as we grow up in our culture based on our life experiences but i can give you some examples of some responses that are consistent across wherever they live no matter where on earth you ask people what their favorite color is they're more likely to tell you blue than any other color right. and um yeah i mean which is sort of intriguing like why would people pick blue but when you think about our early days as a species uh, th- that makes sense because blue um was the color of the or is the color of the sky on a, on a lovely day um blue is also often uh, the color of a water hole seen from a distance mm-hmm. so it's not surprising that um the way we process information we um uh you know have a great fondness for blue so the takeaway is if you're trying to sell your house or your apartment paint with the walls inside all different shades of blue because that makes people <laughs> feel good you know yeah. and then we do have a universally least favorite color which is a very yellowy yellow green yeah. which happens to be um the color of vomit you know the vomit <laughs> after you've thrown up all the food in your system when you have the flu and you keep throwing oh. up you know that awful stuff that yeah. you throw up after the food that's the least like color so if you are if you don't really want to sell a property you know paint the insides those colors people will never buy it you know so um, so, um you know or there are these other universals that are, are are really interesting like when people see all different shades of green mm-hmm. they're more likely to think creatively that's yeah. that's that's really interesting and a lot of people and a lot of organizations really need high performance creativity in mm-hmm. order to to thrive so you know when people ask me what color they should paint their office if i don't know any more about them i always just say paint it green <laughs> you know there are other responses that relate to things like visual complexity and you know uh, other aspects of our visual world as well as other senses but um i I think you're starting to get the idea that Mm. what we're up to now at least brain wise is the same thing our great 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 whatever (laughs) grandparents were you know when we were um just starting our um existence as an animal um, that's really that's really interesting. I, I mean, yeah, about blue. I think I'll have to start painting my house blue. So because I'm thinking of flogging it. So yeah. Right. <laughs> um, there's other connotations that come up yeah. through many cultures that are positive too. Like um, in our world, we link um, blue to being you know trustworthy, dependable, mm-hmm. things like that. So you know that's yeah. often something people want to convey through a space. So you know, there's other reasons to think about blue also. Okay. So just thinking about workplaces in particular um, for this podcast, I said hopefully I might, you know, get you back. (laughs) Be fantastic. Um, But just sort of in terms of workplaces, I mean, say, for instance, I mean, there's a lot of you go into offices and there's there's something that can be quite noisy. There's clutter everywhere. There's different branded chairs. I mean, there are even black furniture. It's really quite um, it's sort of tatty looking on. There's just bits everywhere. What do you what's what's actually going on? What's sort of triggered in our brains when we're in an environment which is sort of dissonant, I suppose, to what you're describing on this sort of other kind of harmony? What you would really want to create in a workplace to make people feel comfortable and in just the right mood to excel at doing knowledge work is a biophilic environment. Mm-hmm. In a bio, and and um, when you think about a biophilic space, you could um, think about a meadow, 
on a lovely spring day. Mm-hmm. And that gives you an idea of the components you want in the space. You mm-hmm. want um, uh, natural light. You want um, uh, gentle movement, you know, like the grass gently moving in a quiet breeze. Uh, you would you want um, a, a seat where you feel secure but have a view out over the world around you, for example, mm-hmm. leaning against the trunk of a tree. But one of the most important differences between a biophilic environment and the workplace environment that you're describing is the visual complexity of the space. We continually review the world around us uh, visually. We don't think about the fact that we're um, doing this, but again, this was a survival mechanism we learned long ago. And we do this looking around most effectively in a space that has moderate visual complexity, relatively restricted range of colors and shapes and things like that. And and that's what we would have found in the savannah when we were natural environments where we were developing. And in a modern constructed environment, well, in residential interiors designed by Frank Lloyd Wright have moderate visual complexity. So the kind of workplace where you're describing with, you know, the, all the chaos and stuff around, um, that is high visual complexity that stresses us out. And I care about stress because, well, I, I like to be a nice person and think about people not being stressed just as a matter of principle. But even beyond that, you know, you don't want people stressed out in a, in a workplace environment because when they're stressed, they're distracted from the task at hand. A little part of their brain is always dealing with whatever is making them stressed and trying to figure out what's going on, etc. So you really want to cut that stress. You also want to help people refresh mentally in workplace environments because knowledge work is um, mentally exhausting. You know, that gets us to, well, how can you compensate for this chaos? I mean, you know, you can tell people to put their stuff away, you know, in the drawers. Mm -hmm. Um, That lasts for like about a week and then everything's (laughs) out again. Mm -hmm. You can ask organizations to put in cabinets and things, you know, storage facility type stuff with, um, with, Oh, oh, you know, fronts that people can't see through, mm-hmm. you know, to hide their contents, um, uh, to, to make the environment simpler. Um, and, and, and that is likely to bear fruit for a little while longer than asking people just to pick up because uh, it would take a while for those okay. cabinets to fill up. But <laughs> beyond that, you can think about what sorts of um, uh, visuals you might add to partially at least compensate for all this activity, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's in the space. And that's where things like um, images of, of, of nature, um, which, you know, people find um, uh, cognitively refreshing and also images, you know, of nature, you know, that help people relax can, mm-hmm. can really be great additions and very useful additions. And the images that are most effective would be ones um, that look like they'd be comfortable spaces to step into they have an assortment of you know trees and 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 open spaces that people could travel through Mm -hmm. um uh you know and and they depict spaces on lovely days days with good weather painting of a a ship at sea being tossed about on the waves (laughs) in a terrible storm 
not a good idea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but picture more like a meadow with um, mm. some trees in the distance. Where it looks like people could theoretically, you know, step into the scene, mm-hmm. you know, wander around. Um, you know, it has some gentle topography. Um, you know, the, when the sun is out, etc. Those are the kinds of images that work well. Beyond that, you can also think about humans' responses to various sorts of lines and, and colors and, and, and use that information to select um, art or images that are on display. For example, um, humans are made to feel comfortable and more relaxed in the presence of relatively more curvy lines mm-hmm. as opposed to lots of straight lines. Also, people are relaxed by colors that are not very saturated but relatively bright and the example of that would be like a sage green with lots of white paint mixed into it so if you had a nature image that was like a close-up of a a flower say Mm -hmm. with petals that are not very saturated but relatively bright say like a dusty orange or pink or whatever Mm -hmm. and um curving sorts of lines you know in terms of the petals and the leaves that would be great Mm -hmm. It's quite interesting because the sort of snowdrops and things that we've got is sort of people really like those. So I suppose it's like that mix is the sort of greens with the whites and there's sort of bright as there's a brightness the way because we also process the images so that it's not just like a picture you might get off Shutterstock or something. We actually try and be a bit creative with it so that your eyes focused on the beauty, you know, they're focused on those elements that reduce. Right. Yeah, that kind of that just that gives that sort of enhance the harmony in the environment. So right. um, yeah, because you want a, a mix of. In any image, you have to have a mix of curving and straight lines, or it mm. looks really weird, you know. Um, but um, you know, if, in terms of places where you want people to relax, yeah. you know, if you're relatively high on the curvy lines and all, that's cool. But mm. there, there are places where you want people like to move along, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. maybe um, the hallway on the way to the cafeteria, and then you would um, want an image that's you know relatively more rectilinear and has more saturated not so bright colors like kelly green or whatever mm-hmm. instead of sage green you know so you need to align the materials on display with the purpose of the zone okay i just imagine like having this really sort of fantastic beautiful image of, of a landscape you know like you say a beautiful meadow or you know you know wood, you know woodland glade and you know sort of in an area like you say trying to get to the you know the canteen and everybody's like hanging out there and no one can get to get a sandwich <laughs> so yeah but that place on the way to the canteen could be the area for like um you know how lots of snowflakes yeah. look real geometric when when you when you see them. Yeah. If you had like um, a bunch of them, like say blown <laughs> up really large, so you had all those straight lines, that would encourage people to like move along, don't bother with the lines. <laughs> oh, brilliant! I love I love the fact that you can you can combine the two like to make to make people have a different because it has that different trigger in your mind. Just sort of moving away from like images, but in contrast, if we're in a room where there's like there's no views, there are no windows. Um, I mean, I, I'd I'd go mad. I, I actually would probably try and run away and, and um, try and break out of somewhere. <laughs> but if you're in somewhere where there's no views, what does that do to your brain? What what's what's going on? Because it's a rea- reality for some office workers. Right, you're in a space with no window openings into the outside world. It gets really stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, because you start to lose track of this, uh, the time in this in the, in the geographic area where you are, and also you don't have opportunities not only to um, decompress 
by looking outside, but it, it, it's basically just a, 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 a disaster because even when you don't see nature out of your window, if you have access to natural light, that light will um, help you keep your circadian rhythms in check with the world around you, which is good for reducing stress. And even just being in natural light generally mm. is good for keeping our stress levels in check and also um, uh, for um, our, um, you know, for our mood and for our cognitive performance. So mm -hmm. when you have, um, and, and the research does show also that when you don't have any access to a, a, a window in your workplace and you, you also have the capacity to um, modify your workplaces mm -hmm. that you're apt to bring in, if you can, like a, a plant or um, a view of uh, nature, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like uh, via some, something you put on your wall or even just like a postcard that you prop against the edge of your you know, keyboard or whatever, you know, you've got yeah. to, to, to work with in, in your environment. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, we will find a way to try to keep our um, sensory systems in, in the right sort of state um, to do well at whatever the task at hand is. And when people are working in a space without access to windows and things like that, they bring in materials, do whatever they can to keep themselves at a high performance level. Yeah. I mean, I think you know, there's been quite a few discussions on the fact, you know, that, that still CEOs, companies, company directors, whatever, they don't kind of get the point. They kind of think that decor, you know, putting pictures on the wall and things are sort of secondary to running the business. But um, that's what's been fascinating and what you just what you've been saying as well about how the actually images of nature, for instance, bringing views of nature in and sort of biophilic design has a positive effect on people and staff. I mean, you've, you've touched already as well on, you know, what's actually happening to our minds when we see nature, what's triggered. I mean, you mentioned that it harks back to something that's a primitive need in us. We have a recognition right. of, of nature. Is, is, there, is, that, is, that, is that that's what's happening, yeah? Yeah, if you think about a place where a chipmunk would be, um, would be <laughs> sorry a, a, a chipmunk is a lot like as a super early person was in in that um, a chipmunk is a social animal that depends on its wits to survive mm -hmm. so you know a, a chipmunk loves being in that meadow you know with its um back against a tree or in a tree surveying the world around it on a lovely day with, you know, the, the gentle breeze and, and, mm -hmm. and, and things like that, you know, but think of other ways this comes into play. Like, um, would a chipmunk like to sit in a work environment where people are traveling back and forth behind them all the time? You know, in other words, would a chipmunk want to sit so that its back is exposed to a walkway? Mm. No, indeed. And neither do um, modern humans. That's very distracting and stressful to us to, you know, be seated in a um, an open space where people are, you know, traveling back and forth behind us all the time. Mm -hmm. We still have this primitive need to make sure that nothing behind us um, is up to no good. I mean, we mm -hmm. know rationally that our coworkers aren't thinking about having us for lunch, <laughs> but you know, um, still, you know, we have this need to continually be mm. like attentive to whatever whatever's happening behind us. Mm. So, if when you're thinking about a space, if you say to yourself, "Would a chipmunk like it here?" Mm -hmm. You know, and that answer, "Would a chipmunk perform to its full potential here?" Mm. You know, that again, the answer to that question um, uh, gives you an idea about how you should 
modify an area in order to optimize human not only performance but also experience mm-hmm. and That's- well-being. I mean, sort of obviously for businesses who are listening um, and they're thinking about, you know, sort of spending some money on their on improving or, you know, retrofitting biophilic design or maybe putting some images up or just implementing, you know, different colour schemes or lighting in their environment. I'm quite intrigued how uh, you've got this, you know, place coach brand as well, about how environments enhance user performance emotionally, cognitively and physically, and also, you know, how it can improve productivity and thinking practically, how can, you know, if if I'm a business owner, how can I get my staff to make more sales? How can I get them to stop wandering off or get it, you know, maybe they've got a high turnover of staff. If people want more productivity, say, for instance, if, if they're finding that people are not focused, that they're not getting, you know, they're not getting on with their job, that's kind of like a main pain point. What, what would you suggest that they would have in their, in their office? Well, um, I think that when people are looking to optimize professional performance, they have to um, consider the physical environment as well as other aspects of the, um, the the world in which you know their employees work and they have to think about compensation systems and things like that because all these factors work work together and people actually link the form of their physical environment to the compensation that that they receive at a deep level in their mind mm-hmm. um, people are very attuned to what a space is communicating non-verbally mm-hmm. is it communicating that their organization respects them and the contributions they make to um, the group's success mm-hmm. or not. I mean, this is how like bathroom design and maintenance can get to be so important because, you know, bathrooms are often a sort of um, back house area where um, maybe the clients don't necessarily go, mm-hmm. you know, they may be paraded through the floor in general but you know they wouldn't necessarily use the staff restrooms for example so if the staff restrooms are you know well maintained pleasant places to be the staff pulls the message out that there are values so you have to think about how a space can communicate to people that they're valued one of the ways it, it can do that is um, by thinking about whatever tasks people are being asked to do and making sure they have the right sorts of tools to, to do them distractions are minimized um, uh, perhaps by reorienting seats if, if that's at all possible mm-hmm. or creating visual divides between people through some mechanism various sorts of screens whatever we can think about adding a backdrop on a, a, a soundscape to the space that um, makes the sounds that people nearby naturally make and little conversations they may have less distracting we generally think of white noise in that regard, but we could um, research indicates that playing nature sounds very quietly is, uh, in many cases, even more effective at creating a, a more peaceful, calm, comfortable environment. By nature sounds, I mean the sounds of a gently burbling brook, um, mm-hmm. uh, leaves rustling in trees, etc. Mm-hmm. No hurricane force <laughs> winds or torrential rains, whatever. But we also have to think beyond that, beyond get, helping people immediately do whatever their task is to um, uh, helping uh, them really excel by, for example, providing those opportunities for cognitive refreshment um, mm-hmm. like via uh, images of nature and similar sorts of nature-based experiences mm-hmm. because these um, can not only help with that 
mental refreshment, but also help to keep stress levels in, in, in check. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that helps somebody really excel. Mm-hmm. You, know, in, uh, you know, people need the basic tools, but in order to work to their full potential, you have to ensure that they have opportunities for cognitive refreshment, that they're not stressed, mm-hmm. etc. as they're in, um, in, in, the, in the workplaces that you manage. You mentioned about having sort of nature sounds in the background. Um, you'll hear it at the end, but all our podcasts have a soundscape behind them. So, oh, excellent. Yeah, so, um, and it's done by an amazing um, audio producer, uh, George Harvey, who's a musician himself, but he's, um, yeah, he's kind of, he's all in tune with this stuff. So we've got bird song that's kind of just gently behind it. And even when I find myself reviewing the podcast, I almost like, oh, I'm at the end, I'm all calm. <laughs> so um, there's something in it, definitely. <laughs> there's all subliminal. Um, just kind of finally, really, um, back on to biophilic design again, particularly, um, like you mentioned, obviously, nature landscapes, pictures of um, meadows and springs, sort of natural light, gentle, you know, sort of having the kind of pathways, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah sort of meandering through. pathways are great, curving pathways. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, you've, you've mentioned sort of like, you know, it, it triggers something within that. Is it, I mean, what sort of research is that based on? Well, um, I am a fellow of the American Psychological Association, and everything I discuss with you is based in studies that have appeared in the peer-reviewed press. And um, environmental psychologists as a specialty, you know, as a recognized group, have been around since the 70s. But even before that, um, people were looking at how aspects of the physical environment influenced how people think and behave, and they were using a range of methodologies. You know, some quantitative studies were conducted in the field, others in lab. Mm-hmm. And so we were beginning to build a knowledge base. And now as more sophisticated tools are becoming available, we're finding that the research that was originally done like in the 70s, 80s, and 90s before those really advanced tools were available. Well, those findings are being confirmed now that we can run people through MRI scanners and show them pictures of different sorts of things and actually watch what goes on mm-hmm. in, in, in their brains. So, um, okay. you know, there's been a range of techniques used o- over the years, um, all of which produce a consistent result, which is that, um, you know, humans thrive and do their best thinking in a space that has all the conceptual components of a meadow or wooded glen on a on a lovely spring or you know early summer day. The visual that sort of visual complexity, opportunities mm-hmm. for mental refreshment, colors of on surfaces, lights, etc. It all comes together. Um, I was talking to um, somebody about this once casually, and he he said to me, um, "You know what your slogan should be? Your slogan should be." Build the meadow. And I thought, wow, that really does sort of encapsulate a lot of what I say, but it would take um, a, a lot of explanation, you know, as just a, um, a, a slogan, whatever. But now that we've had a chance to talk a little bit today, you can see um, what I'm uh, getting at when I talk about all those different components. But if you want your people to do their best thinking for you, they have to um, be in a state that supports that kind of thinking. So they have to, you know, generally be relaxed, not asleep. We're not talking about <laughs> numbing people out into unconsciousness. We're talking about <laughs> removing the stresses from their physical environment so that they're calm and comfortable and able to focus on whatever it is that you pay them to do. <laughs> well, that's brilliant. Um, 
Thanks so much, Sally. Uh, Absolute joy talking with you. It really is. Um, I really hope we get to speak again. Thank you for listening to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast.